Hello, welcome to Cerebral Flex. Uh, you have your host Namwon Sakati and Jareth R.R. Blackstar. Uh, this is episode 17, The Rise and Fall of the Spanish Empire. Um, it's going to be a three-part episode. The first part will be how uh, the Iberian Peninsula uh, changed in culture before the Spanish Empire even was around, um, and how different theologies like uh, Islam and Judaism and Christianity all played nice together for a pretty long time. And the second part will be about the um, rise and fall of the Spanish Empire. And the third part will be what happened afterwards, a little bit of what happened afterwards in Europe and what happened in South America, Central America, Caribbean islands as well. And yeah, take it away, Jared. All right. So I guess I'll take the big screen. All right, so uh, like Naimon Sakati said, we're going to be doing a three-part episode on the rise and fall of Spain. Uh, the reason we wanted to do this was because we really just asked the question to ourselves, um, why did Spain discover the new world and then England and France wound up being like the big world players? Um, so that's where the, the question kind of originated, and that's why we're doing this uh podcast another reason that we're doing uh a study into spanish history is because we want to talk about south america because curtailing with all the nice politics stuff that we talk about in south america during the cold war there was a lot of socialist states that rose up um and so we kind of want to go into that we also kind of want to talk about the drug war and the border crisis and all that but to answer that question about um South America and how all its different factions worked, we decided to go all the way back, um, go way off topic like we normally do. Um, but this one, we have notes, so we're going to try and stay as accurate as possible. Disclaimer, we're not historians. Um, I did read a lot, watch a lot of videos, though. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. Um, it's going to be a little bit more scripted. We might have a little bit of a discussion at the end. But without further ado, we're going to go into uh, the Iberian Peninsula, which is where Spain, Portugal, surrounding countries are located in current day. Um, the Iberian Peninsula was originally known as Hispania. Um, it was named that by the Roman empires, um, and it was founded in 2018 BC until the Roman Empire uh, fell apart because the Visigoths came and pretty much destroyed Rome. And so Spain became part of the Visigoth kingdom in the 5th century, um, and it remained that way until 711 BC. With the Visigoths, they had a pretty diverse culture, and it was very tribal in certain parts. Um, so they didn't really have like a structured form of government. Um, when people depict them as barbarians, that's kind of not inaccurate. <laughs> Um, so they didn't really have like a centralized form of government. Um, so what a lot of people don't know, and if you look at the architecture of Spain, it's very interesting to other places in Europe um, because it has a very Middle Eastern type of vibe. And that's because the Muslim Moors came over around uh, 711 BC. And within seven years, they conquered most of Spain, what's Portugal now, they conquered most of Hispania except for the very northmost regions. Um, and 
the Moors at the time, the Muslim Moors, um, the big caliphate at the time was known as the Umayyad Caliphate. Um, and they conquered the peninsula in seven years. Um, that's how disorganized the Visigoths were. Um, and during that time, Christianity was a thing because Christianity had become the main staple religion of the Roman Empire during its twilight years. Um, so the majority of the Visigoths were Christian. Um, and the caliphate that came through, um, they were pretty forward thinking at the time. They recognized the advantages and disadvantages of the people that they had conquered, and they tried to integrate them into society. Um, unfortunately, during 750 AD, uh, that caliphate throughout the Middle East and North Africa was overthrown by the Abbasid, Abbasid Persians, um, which were another caliphate. Um, and one of the only surviving princes, Abd Abdul Rahman, he decided to cross the sea to Iberia um, and reestablish the Umayyad state that had been destroyed. Um, and with that, he brought over a bunch of different agricultural advancements that the Visigoths didn't have. Um, and he decided to set up a quasi-religious state. Um, the main religion was Muslim, but he allowed the practice of uh, Catholicism and uh, Judaism, which was really nice for the Jews because the Catholics at the time were very oppressive towards the Jewish people. Um, so they actually saw a step up, whereas the Catholics had kind of a step down because they weren't in control anymore. Um, so they were allowed to practice their religions pretty freely with some constraints, only a handful of them, but they were also allowed to be introduced to different aspects of society as far as the agricultural technology, the architecture, um, and they even achieved some like high status of uh, in the realm of politics too. And they saw a large economic boom rivaled only by Constantinople at the time under the rule of Ab Abdul Rahman. And they renamed the Iberian Palencia Al Andalus. Um, and it was kind of like this haven, this weird mishmash of Muslim, Judaism, and Catholicism all wrapped up into one. Um, they even said Catholic masses in Arabic because Latin had kind of become like a stale and boring um, language at the time. And so they picked up Arabic and a lot of the art and a lot of the architecture, if you go to Spain now, is written in Arabic. And the reason why is because um, the people at the time that had been conquered just loved the language and the culture so much. Um, and again, because it was mainly ruled by Muslims, that's why the majority of the architecture in Spain is so unique and different, and it has that Middle Eastern-esque vibe. It's because the Moors ruled for a very, very long time. Um, in the mid-1000s, however, because um, no good thing can last, uh, the North African Berber mercenaries, who were hired by another caliphate, they ransacked the capital of Al-Andalus, which was Cordoba. Um, and with the ransacking of that, the Islamic nobility split into several smaller caliphates. Um, and because there was no centralized form of governance anymore, that kind of led the way for the conquistadors to start the overthrow of Spain and what would eventually become the Spanish Empire. Um, so if 
the mercenaries hadn't decided to ransack Cardoba, uh, Al Andalus would have continued to remain the world, one of the world's superpowers at the time. Um, and I find that sad that they had kind of figured out a way for all these different religious people to live in a, co a cohesive society together. Because um, I think usually when we think of Muslims, we think of the holy war or the Islamic state as it exists today as being super barbaric and um, very problematic. But it seemed like uh, the Muslims at the time, and especially the Prince Rahman, uh, he was very liberal thinking. Um, so that's kind of the precursor to the Spanish Revolution. And now I'm going to kick it back over to Mr. Sakati to uh, go into the rise and the fall. Hi, guys. That was amazing, Jareth. I just learned a lot. Um, so, yeah. After uh, that prince uh, lost power, there's um, there's a huge uh, uprising of Christianity and uh, a backlash. Of course, there has to be because no one can play nice forever. Um, so the Spanish Empire was uh, first brought in by this guy. Uh, 1469 was the year. Um, Ferdinand of Aragon married Isabella of Castile. And they went on a little... Uh, hunt for Muslims and uh, anyone that wasn't Catholic. So they, they, they're the ones that instituted the Spanish Inquisition, uh, which started in 1478 and lasted all the way till 1834, which was a judicial institution ostensibly established to co combat heresy in Spain. So anyone that wasn't Christian. And in practice, the Spanish Inquisition served to consolidate power in the mon monarchy um, of the newly unified Spanish kingdom. But it achieved that, of course, through murder and slaughter and death and kill. Anyway, so the medieval Inquisition uh, played a considerable role in Christian Spain during the 13th century. Um, but the struggle against the Moors had kept the inhabitants of the Iberian Peninsula busy and served to strengthen their faith. So they tried all they, they wanted, but it turns out people held true to their beliefs, which people should do. Um, so yeah, it was called the Spanish Empire, and another name for it was the Hispanic Monarchy, and it was one of the largest empires to ever exist in the history of the world. Uh, they had territories through Europe, uh, Oceania, Africa, the Americas, um, yeah, Asia. They, they went far and wide. It was called the empire on which the sun never sets, because at any time of the day, the sun is touching one of their owned locations. Um, so yeah, Ferdinand and Isabella, they didn't quite um, unify all their uh, owned lands or the places they've conquered. They didn't have the same laws in place everywhere. Uh, didn't really start becoming a unified empire until um, the rule of the Habsburgs and the Bourbons. Um, the Habsburgs were from uh, Germany, Austria descent. And uh, they're the ones that you hear about with the uh, Habsburg jaw because they were infamously known for their incestuous behavior. Uh, so their jaws uh, became really, um, what's the word for it? Just prolonged. It was, they just had long jaws. They had big bottom lips and their noses were really long. And uh, most people agree, um, biologists and such, agree that is from all the incest they had to keep the power consolidated within their family. Um, but yeah, 
during the rule of Ferdinand and Isabella and the Habsburgs, they did end up getting rid of serfdom, which is cool. Um, they did update the judicial and tax systems. Uh, they did update the infrastructure within the uh, Andalusian or the Iberian Peninsula. And uh, that that's probably the most progressive it got. Um, keep in mind, the Spanish Inquisition was still going on, so it wasn't that liberal. Um, but yeah, the uh, empire was doing well. They were actually taking lands in Europe, like parts of the Netherlands, um, current day Belgium. They had places in the, the Holy, Holy Land, the Holy Empire. Um, they had the Philippines. They were conquering without really militaristic force. They didn't have to at some point because they just had so much momentum. People were just like, fine, take it. And uh, they were doing pretty well, except back home. Um, and just to, to rewind a little bit, Ferdinand and Isabella, they got married on borrowed money. So it kind of foreshadowed the fall of the empire because the reason that the Spanish empire started collapsing was because of financial um, reasons. It's It was an economic issue because they were... Uh, they basically weren't taxing all their land everywhere, like the places in the Netherlands, places in the Philippines, places everywhere. They weren't really taxing the people that lived there um, well at first. They're kind of just letting people chill. <laughs> and they ended up having to borrow money from uh, German and Genoan banks. Um, and that was all happening under this guy called Charles V. Um, there's some confusion with me about Charles V. He had so many titles and he was in charge of so much. Yet he had all this this financial difficulty, which is kind of kind of funny to me, I guess. Um, so, yeah, he ended up uh, having to play catch up after a while and started overtaxing everyone. He had this one tax called the Alcabala tax, where uh, a tax could be applied at any point in the process of sales. So if I was manufacturing something, I could be taxed while I was manufacturing. it. If I was moving it to the shelves of a store, I could be taxed during the shipping process. I could be taxed. And you can also be taxed for when you're buying it. So people were being taxed during the creation, sale, every part of a sales process. And also there was a 10% tax on any transfer of assets. So, you know, the the Charles V would get my money 10% of if I sold my house. Or if you have any asset and you're trying to, you know, sell it, the, the king gets 10% of that, you know, trade which is really messed up. So people started uh, going into dirty ways of getting money, illicit ways of getting money, tax evasion. People started murdering the tax collectors on the streets. That part was kind of cool to me, I guess. Um, I should say interesting. It's not so cool that people were murdered, but I mean, if you're seriously collecting taxes back then, what kind of asshole are you? And um, I guess you're just doing your job. But anyway, all that caused the collapse of the empire initially. Um, so even more taxes were applied after everything I just said. They had a bunch of other taxes I'm not going to name right now. They were all ridiculous. And then uh, people started moving out of Spain in droves, which you can expect, like they're moving out of Illinois. Same reason, taxes. And um, yeah, people started working for the Spanish government because the, the employees of the Spanish government weren't taxed. That's a little interesting tidbit. And people also started uh, getting rich because the wealthy were not taxed the same. They were taxed very little. In fact, at one point in time, um, Aragon, the northeast portion of Spain, uh, where all the elitists lived, it was like their Beverly Hills or some shit or uh, downtown Manhattan. Uh, they actually were taxed less 
at this over taxation period of time than what they were before all these taxes even started. So that's fun. And um, the Dutch revolted also because they were overtaxed and they hated all of it. And then Calvinism, a form of uh, Protestantism, uh, started emerging and challenging Catholicism. And that's no good, you know, especially with the Spanish Inquisition going on. And Ottoman Empire and the French um, also contributed to putting pressure on the Spanish Empire to go away because they were the enemy. And uh, the French Empire officially began uh, in the beginning of the 19th century with uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. And that is a nice little summary of the rise and fall of the Spanish Empire in a nutshell. I mean, there's so much to it. All right. So we want to go over Latin America now? Well, I also wanted to point out that Andalusia was a large state in southern Spain. It is right now a large yeah. autonomous community in, in southern Spain. And I do think that's because of Al Andalus and the, the prince you mentioned. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. England. I would agree. It's almost like the lost city of Atlantis almost when you think right? about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and Granada's uh, Alhambra Palace is something you should look up. It's fucking gorgeous. Right. Definitely. But yeah, it seems like the main problem with the Spanish Empire, aside from being so spread out, was just their tax system was incredibly... Uh, it wasn't smart. It wasn't a smart way of taxing people. Um, to have transactional tax is one thing but to tax somebody at the point of creation of moving product um and then selling the product and then if you sold any property or anything that you had you also got taxed on top of it um that was a big contention in the colonies too uh anything that the spanish um the spanish uh politicians found in uh south and middle america would be taxed at a a fifth of whatever they found so even more um so yeah their tax system was insane and then also napoleon i mean napoleon ruined a lot of countries which is both good and bad <laughs> so yeah you're, you're gonna take over but pretty much the uh south american peoples they didn't want to be ruled by the french because they're like that you're even worse than the spanish yeah yeah essentially i mean the beginning of the fall of the Spanish Empire definitely starts with the Napoleonic Wars and their their tax system um, and then their conquest to retake the Spanish colonies in South America was kind of the final nail in the coffin. Um, so I guess I guess I will take over there. Bye. <laughs> All right. So um, Napoleon, he invaded Spain in 1808 and he established a very pro French government as one does, because you are a Frenchman. Um, you are more cultured than anybody else in Europe. Um, and he made his brother a king, which led to a revolution by the Spanish um, and the Peninsular War, which we're, we're not going to get into the Peninsular War because it's messy and there's a lot of different players involved. Um, it was essentially a big part of the Napoleonic Wars that engulfed Europe at the time that Napoleon was conquering everyone. Um, so when Spain was in chaos and the king had abdicated the throne, um, the Spanish colonies, they were already pretty irritated with Spain. Um, 
a lot of their representatives weren't recognized in the semi-democratic um, Congress that they had in Spain because monarchies around that time were very weird. Even if you think about like Napoleon in France or England, they had like parliaments with representatives, but they still had like a king who could make decisions for the majority of the people. It was, it was a weird time. It was like a quasi democracy and it definitely didn't work out. And that's why we don't have it so much anymore today. Although I guess you still have the, the king and queen of England and other royal families. It's weird. Um, but so they weren't really happy with Spain because they weren't receiving adequate representation. Um, and Spain also made it really hard for them to talk with one another. Um, so the way the different colonies were set up, they couldn't communicate with one another directly. And if you ever look at a map of South America, like Chile, for example, it's essentially one long strip of land. Um, and so these colonies, they were massive and there's lots of mountains and a shitload of jungles at the time um, because we're destroying the rainforests now. But at the time, there was bunches of jungle, tons of mountains. Communication in South America was not easy, whereas in North America with the British colonies, you had just the strip of the 13 colonies that stopped right at the mountains in West Virginia. Um, I think I believe they're the Smoky Mountains. I might be mistaken. Um, but so communication between those colonies was very easy. Um, whereas communication between South American and, uh, middle American colonies was very hard. Um, and a lot of people also don't know that Spain was in charge of, uh, everything from Louisiana all the way up to Texas, uh, California and Washington of North America. It was a huge spread of land that Spain had laid. Uh, claim to. And so they weren't receiving adequate representation. The politicians couldn't even talk with one another. Um, they had to do everything through a magistrate at, uh, I believe it was Barcelona. And that made for a not so fun time because they weren't able to communicate trade routes with one another. Um, they weren't able to, and it was essentially kind of in my view, from what my understanding of it was, they wouldn't let these colonies talk to one another because if they could talk to one another, then there was potential for some of these uh, bourgeois class Spaniards to get maybe a little greedy and try to abdicate from the Spanish empire and makes Latin America their own, which is kind of ironically what happened. Um, so... They weren't given representation. They weren't really able to communicate. Uh, 20th of anything they mined or produced was automatically taxed by the king. Um, the trade routes they had were not nearly as quick or efficient as English and French trade routes. Um, you also had Brazil, which was part of the Portuguese empire at the time, um, also kind of cutting off trade, and that was not fun. So when the king was abdicated from the throne and they installed a puppet dictator, the colonies decided that they weren't going to recognize the new government or the one that was in exile. Um, and they decided, no, the French rule is not something that we want to live over under. So we're going to abdicate and kind of do our own thing. Um, so there was a bunch of civil wars that happened in South America during the time, different bourgeois families trying to essentially become king of Latin America um, but 
the interesting thing about Latin America at the time is there were kind of four different groups. You had uh, the Spanish who were white. You had the um, African slaves that they brought over. Um, so you had white, you had black, you had the indigenous Native Americans. Um, and then you had these odd mixings of there were some people that would white Spaniards would marry um, black uh, people who had been slaves at the time, or you would have white Spaniards marrying um, Native Americans. And there was this odd, interesting, multicultural um, melting pot that was happening in Latin America. Um, and so poverty was pretty rampant among everybody, but the white ruling Spanish class, but you had all these different mixings of different people from different cultures that had happened. And that's what made it so hard for these Spanish bureaucrats to uh, make Latin America their own type of dictatorship. Um, eventually in Spain, the king was reinstated. I think it was another Ferdinand. I'm not sure. I didn't write his name down. I'm not going to look it up. He's an unimportant, but he tried to reestablish control of the colonies. He said, uh, come back to Spain. I'm the king now. And they said, no, no, thank you. We'd rather do our own thing. And he spent a bunch of uh, Spanish soldiers over to fight. And there were two main people who would be considered the George Washingtons, I guess, of Latin America. Um, there are others, but the two most famous and one of the most famous was Simon Bolivar. Um, he fought he fought for uh, South American independence uh, starting in 1808 with the fall of the uh, Spanish Empire uh, when Napoleon had taken it and made his brother king. Um, and he was very much enjoyed the idea of having a republic. He wanted a republic. And then there was uh, another very famous Spanish uh, man named Jose de San Martin. And he fought for the... Uh, countries of Chile and Argentine. Um, and he really liked the idea of a monarchy. So they had two people who were starting these rebellions, um, fighting across South America to gain independence, who had very different ideologies. Um, Simon Bolivar and Jose San de Martin actually met um, and had a very long discussion. And it would seem that Simon Bolivar came out on top because... Jose de San Martin uh, gave up the revolution and returned to Spain um, and left Simon Bolivar in charge. And so Simon beat back the Spanish and he instated what was the um, it was the independent nations of Latin America known as Gran Colombia. And he was the president of that from 1819 to 1830. Uh, and his vision was to create a unified Latin America, because um, that was one of the questions I was trying to find out. You had the United States when they had their revolution from England. Um, why didn't they? Why didn't Latin America kind of all unite into city states like the United States did? Um, which is what Simón Bolívar wanted. He wanted a republic. He was modeling it after um, the United States because. This was in 1808, and the War for Independence was fought about 40 years prior. Um, so that's what he kind of abdicated for. But again, 
it was very hard to communicate with the different colonies at the time because Latin America is massive and the colonies were massive. Um, and their means of communication were not very good. Um, and that is kind of how Spain lost control of Latin America. You had two or three very prominent uh, tacticians who were able to unify the poor classes of people um, and essentially fight back and create their own miniature republic, which would eventually fall apart. And just to give some dates on things, um, Argentina and Venezuela, they uh, achieved independence in 1810. Uh, in Paraguay, it was 1811. In Uruguay, it was 1815. In Chile, it was 1818. In Peru, it was 1820. Panama and Mexico were also in 1821. Um, so, the Spanish Empire lost control of everything in Latin America, with the exception of Cuba and Puerto Rico, um, in about a 20-year span. Uh, eventually, the Spanish-American War, which lasted for about three months, was fought, and then Spain gave up its remaining uh, colonies. So that is the history of the Spanish Empire in Latin America. Um, it was fought pretty viciously, but most of these countries achieved independence within a couple years of fighting the revolution. Um, Spain at the time, it was incredibly depleted of resources. Um, it had already lost a big armada in a stupid gambit against England. Napoleon happened. Uh, taxation of the people was destroying its economy, and Spain and the new world it was just too expensive um also a lot of the trade routes that spain would ship through uh were rampant with pirates <laughs> so a lot of the uh the gold and goods that would get sent uh from latin america to spain would be uh intercepted by pirates and that became super expensive too and that's kind of the the twilight of spain's hold on the new world and then in Europe, it became the state that it is today. Very good. All right. Yeah, I uh, I mean, our question was answered. Right. So, I mean, I didn't think that it was... It, it makes me think that everything is so loosely held. Like, um, you know, if the Chinese rule next after the U.S., the world, pretty much. Um, just how loosely it's controlled. How yeah. easily everything can be lost. It's all based on nothing. <laughs> well, and that's why these times are so turbulent, too, because we see... Because um, Spain, its demise was essentially because they were really bad at handling their money. Yeah. Um, they were really bad at handling their money. And what we see now in America, where we live, is a blatant like mishandling of resources and money. Um and it's just interesting how history continues to repeat itself. Um, I, in learning all this, did not recognize how huge a kingdom Spain was, which I should have because we don't ever talk about Spain, really. It's always about England and France. Um, usually when I, I think about world superpowers, I think about England fighting France in the Hundred Years' War. I think about England and France in, in the Crusades, which Spain was very heavily involved in. I don't really think about 
I never really thought about how vast their empire was. Well, mine was the opposite because I, I know how many people speak Spanish and that's like all these countries south of us. Right. So you, you know, they had a lot of influence and then you also know they went to the Philippines and they also had Cape Verde out of Africa and like, um, no, lots of different places. Is Cape Verde Portuguese? Never mind. That might be Portuguese. But either way, they have holdings everywhere. People. I mean, they Spanish. did have so many places. They did uh, have colonies in Guam and the Philippines as well. So. Right. So they, they went so many places. They right. brought Catholicism. Like, look at how many countries have Catholicism. That that right there is synonymous well, with yeah. the Spanish. Well, yeah. If you uh, look at Latin America, like, there's there's people who worship, like, Aztecian or or darker entities like but they've also co-opted it into Catholicism like if you look at Santa Morte like she's essentially a saint in a lot of people's eyes which she's the personification of death which is just really weird so it's interesting a lot of the depictions what I was really surprised by was the cultural diversity not just in Latin America like with the mixing of the white the black and the Native Americans and all the different um, racial mixings that they had. But I was really surprised by the beginnings of right before Spain of. Um, right. That I keep. Prince. What yeah. Was that prince's name? Abd Abdul Rahman and yeah. Al Andalus. Like, yeah, that that was so interesting to me, because when you think about like Europe, too, you'll think about all the different like countries that they have. And they're all like kind of the same, like. France, yeah, they have they have the Eiffel Tower in England. It's ha it has Big Ben and stuff like that. But all the architecture is all kind of like similar, right? Even like those old cathedrals. But then if you think of Spain, like it, it's it's got an entirely different architecture and culture, and that's all bred out of um the the Muslim culture that was yep. there. Yeah, which is and awesome. It's, it's similar to Turkey because Turkey also had you know Constantinople that you know right Istanbul. Right. And they also had a lot of Christian slash Islam influence. And I think the most beautiful architecture comes when people play nice together. I think that's what we're concluding here. Well, yeah. If, um, if Muslims and Christians can get along and like splice their languages and cultures together, you're going to get delicious foods. You're going to get beautiful buildings and, and beautiful people. All well, right. That was, that was the thing that was interesting <laughs> to me, too, was um, – because again, we we depict, especially in our current day, we depict Islamic uh, nation states as like, and I mean they are they are hateful and oppressive now, but that's not the way that they always were. Um, that that caliphate was was really um, liberal, and yeah. they even built, um, I believe it was in Cordoba, they even built a temple that was half a mosque and half a Catholic church. And that's just like a really, really cool idea. And the fact that all these Christians, they didn't convert to Islam, but they started saying like their Catholic masses and stuff in Arabic because they just enjoyed the language. And yeah. uh, it's really cool. I like it. And apparently it was like the second wealthiest kingdom at the time, rivaled only by Constantinople, which like I didn't know any of that. <laughs> yeah. We learned a lot this week. Yeah. Uh, so any more... Any more thoughts? No, not really. I mean, we we put it all together in a concise manner, and we, we gave, should probably discuss gave, what the next couple episodes are about. Yeah, we and gave you guys a short one. Love us. Yes, that's hit the like button, subscribe, and stuff. Can you tell that that we are also from Generation X and the Millennials, the Forgotten Ones? 
we we want we want people to love us. Why won't you yeah. love us? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> the next one I'm really excited about. You're probably a little bit less excited about it than I am, but I'm really excited about it. I think you'll get excited about it when you start looking into it more. Um, cause you just don't like talking about the CIA and I don't really care about the CIA. Um, but what we're going to talk about next is the interesting phenomenon of all the socialist and they call them communists, but a lot of them were socialist states during the cold war period that was in Latin America. Um, because it was all around the same time. It was all within like a 20 to 30 span, like what was going on there. Um, so I'm going to send you some articles and stuff and we'll discuss che Guevara and all them. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Chave Guevara. Uh, that's why I want to have the podcast too. Cause I think we need to discuss, I think we'd agree with a lot of his tactics, but I don't think a lot of people are going to respect us for it <laughs> because yeah, I mean, he he's murdered, kind of he, not a he great person. A lot of people, he did a lot of guerrilla warfare stuff, Yeah, I mean, but you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. Right. So <laughs> we're going to talk about it's essentially going to be Latin America, socialism leading to the right of fascism. How did that happen? What involvement did we have? I don't know, but we're going to at least talk about that. There's one um, really interesting experiment that I just found out about by one of my uh, I would say he's one of my favorite YouTubers. His name's Plastic Pills. He did an interesting video documentary on Chile and their socialist, uh, President Allende, and how they pretty much had achieved almost a socialist utopia. And then, you know, fascists came in, as they do, and they got to break it up. Um, alleged, allegedly, allegedly. It's funny, for a democracy, we do a lot of fascist shit. That was that's the most interesting thing that I want to get into with that right. is is we like to say and we use it as like this this bike clip like we're gonna bring democracy to the world but we sure do establish a lot of fascist dictators um, and then what we're gonna go from there and the episode after that um, which is a little bit more of a relevant topic even though I think the previous topic is gonna be relevant to how socialism can work and how do you combat fascism if you're creating a socialist state. Um, we're going to talk about how all of these military leaders in South America that rose up and had these fascist governments created uh, great poverty and a lot of death and destruction um, to Latin America and how that brought about the drug war uh, with the, the large cartels and the border crisis because if we hadn't done the things that we had done in South South America, um, we wouldn't have the drug war or the border crisis. Um, and maybe for that podcast, we'll also get into a little bit. How should we go about rectifying that since we like to talk about restitution and how we should uh, own up and maybe pay for some of the things we've done to people. Maybe how we should go about solving the border crisis. How responsible are we and what would be the responsible thing to do? Yeah, so those are the next two episodes. We like to make messes and not clean them up. Yeah. How do we clean up the mess? Because um, I think but this how, is... How do we make people aware that we even made the mess? That's well, that's the... that's why we're doing the first two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this little history one. We just really wanted to answer that question. And then that kind of got me thinking about the idea of Latin America and 
all of that stuff and got me interested in it. So those are going to be the next two. And then uh, I'm sure we'll figure out something from there. Booyah. All right. So, wow, 40 minutes, shortest yeah. one yet. So like, yeah. share, and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, this one's like 20 minutes less than anyone else. So uh, your attention span should be able to hold it. Come on. You can't insult them at the end. I, I love it. I love it. People people love to be insulted. You got to give them the seasoning. It's a kink. It's a kink thing. Getting yeah. shamed. How many of you guys are kinky? No, we're going <laughs> to. We're going to stop before this gets worse. <laughs> all right. So we love you all. Again, we're not historians, but we did a lot of research for this one. So we hope you like it and you learned something. Yeah. If you learned something, holla. Right? All right. We'll see you guys on the next one. Bye-bye.